And we're back for another episode of the Axe Network podcast. And this evening, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Mike Dobbs. He is a sitting presbyter in the Mississippi District of the United Pentecostal Church. He is also an author, and uh, I found it very important uh, to invite him on the podcast this evening to discuss a topic that I feel is very, very important, and it's one of biblical literacy. Uh, One thing that we must understand is the value of the Word of God and how to properly apply the Word of God to our lives. And so we want to welcome Dr. Dobbs to the uh, broadcast. Dr. Dobbs, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy man, and uh, I think very highly of you. And I know that uh, many of the men that I'm in fellowship with speak very, very highly of you. So I figured that uh, it would be a good idea to bring you on the podcast and and talk about this very, very important subject uh, of biblical literacy. And uh, I want to ask you a question. Why don't you tell the the uh, listeners a little bit about your background, where you come from, and uh, what what your what your uh, kind of history is in the ministry and the teaching of the Word of God? Uh, would you do that for us? Yes, sir. I'd be honored. Um, I pastored in Wiggins, Mississippi, for thirty years. Just recently uh, retired from that. Um, I don't know. I don't know if preachers retire. I think we just refire. And, uh, and now I'm, uh, basically pastoring pastors, uh, across the globe. Um, I've been involved in teaching ministry for quite some time and we helped even start some purpose institutes here in the state of Mississippi. And so, you know, I, I've really uh, been an advocate of Christian education, uh, biblical education, um, because I feel like that it qualifies us better in the eyes of people that maybe don't quite understand us. And, uh, and so I've just given myself to ministry and to, um, uh, to the Word of God. Uh, you know, you mentioned I wrote the books. I wrote a, a research study Bible called the Word Defined Research Study Bible that defines all the proper nouns of all of the uh, proper nouns in the Bible in the Old and New Testament. And, of course, I was dealing with three different languages in doing so, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so that was quite a challenge, but it was also uh, a real blessing because it taught me just how important it was to keep the scripture translated with integrity. Amen. So we're delighted to be with you, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you. You use the word integrity and uh, integrity is very important when it comes to ministry. And it's very important that when we teach or preach a certain position uh, that we do it with biblical integrity. And uh, w- what I mean by that is that we have to make sure that we're not sacrificing our integrity due to things like poor hermeneutics. And uh, so I want you to just talk to us uh, for a little while about the importance of biblical hermeneutics, uh, the important uh, of pastors using uh, exegetical uh, preaching and teaching to uh, translate and minister uh, to those that, that we pastor. Uh, I think a, a lot of times uh, we fall into this uh, vein of of performance preaching uh, where we get an idea or we get a thought and then we start to look for scriptures to kind of back up our, 
our thought or our yeah. idea or whatever it is we're trying to drive home. But but I think maybe that's that's an inappropriate approach. And so why don't you just talk to us a little bit about uh, you know, proper applications and how we should as ministry uh how we should approach the word of God when we're looking to teach others. Yes, sir. Well, uh, first of all, Brother McLeod, I, I don't claim to be an expert or uh, an authority on the subject, uh, but I do feel very strongly about it. And you and I both know what I'm saying when I say I've heard some tremendous messages. It's just a shame uh, that there, there wasn't any uh, foundational uh, you know, fact on, on whatever it was they were telling or the interpretation of the verse was completely missed, you know, and, and I've often said, Hey, that would, you know, that would have made a great message if it just had been true. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And it is so important because, you know, I'm afraid, uh, unfortunately, and, and of course I've grown up in this, I've been uh, studying the word since I was 11 years old and started preaching when I was a teenager and, and, uh, pastoring at 28. I don't know what my folks were thinking when they voted me in, but, uh, at 28, I was pastor, and and you know, it just the demands of making sure that when I got in the pulpit and said something, uh, that it was absolutely founded on truth, and not just exegetical, which I'm that is the most important, but also even historical. You know, uh, you there's these stories that are passed from generation to generation. I don't know what their origin was, but they have no historical truth or value in them at all, and we just pass those on and and just repeat them because. Someone we had great esteem with, you know, we told the story, uh, you know, scriptural story. And then when we go to the scripture, we find out that it's, it's, it's really not that way. And I remember even as I began to grow in the, the Lord and grow in the word, uh, I had some great pastors. They were great men of God. They were men of integrity. Um, but, you know, I found things that I had heard all my life that had been preached. I'm like, wait a minute, where is it? You know, that's not the, what this says, you know, and. And of course, I wasn't discrediting them, but I just realized at that moment that they had heard somebody that they had a lot of uh, uh, confidence in tell this, that had heard it from somebody else that had confidence in that told it, and it just wasn't really a fact. And whenever we begin to exegete the, the scripture, of course, the word means to crack the nut and get the meat out, the real meaning of it. Uh, we have to be so careful, and you and I have talked about this uh, even before the program, that there, you know, the syntax of the biblical Hebrew is very, very important uh, when you're translating a word. And so you can go and translate a word. And I don't think the danger as much is in translating a word, but it's when you start putting it in a sentence, when you start trying to make a phrase out of it. And I'm afraid that some of our interpretations of verses, because of our lack of understanding of the syntax of the different languages that are the original text, uh, discredits us in the eyes of people that don't believe the way we are and possibly could discredit us to the point that they would not believe what we're saying or be converted. And so uh, I found it as I got uh, you know older and more experienced that there were people uh, that had a better understanding of the original language and interpretation than I did. And the only way that I could meet them toe-to-toe was for me to know the same thing they did And so I began to apply myself to learn that. And I know we all don't have time to go and study languages, but we do have to be very, very careful. Uh, You know, I don't even use a translation of a word unless I found it in three different places and it's the same. And we don't want to take a 
a word and try to make it mean what we want it to mean, because then it discredits the entire message or even the entire thought that we're trying to portray to the people. So, you know, integrity, uh, an airplane, they, they take an airplane completely apart and they check every part and that's called an integrity check. And so I think sometimes we need to back up and look and say, okay, is what I'm preaching to my people, uh, especially now because we're online, you know, now we have greater exposure than we ever have. And I believe it will continue to be even greater until the rapture takes place. But if that's the case, then we have a lot more people that are not in our inner circle and they're not Pentecostal that we have to make sure that what we're saying is absolutely truth and not something we heard. And that will take extra time for us to qualify those things, but it's well worth it uh, in the fact that when we know we get up there, that we know what we're talking about and we know that what we're saying is true. Amen. I could not agree with you anymore. Charles Spurgeon made a uh, statement one time and, and this is what he said. He said, the people in the marketplace cannot learn the language of the academy. So the people in the academy must learn the language of the marketplace. And this is why the pastor's primary task in preaching is to properly translate the word. Um, yes, sir. It's, it's very important that we understand as ministry that we have a great responsibility to those that we're teaching and preaching to. And so when you look at it in that capacity, um, most people are depending on their leadership to preach and teach to them exactly what the Word of God says. Um, yes, and I think a lot of times uh, as ministry, we're looking for attaboys and, and, and applause and, and, and accolades and, and, and all of these different things. But the truth of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, our calling is to, is to teach the word of God. Um, this is what is going to save people. They'll be saved by the word. Um, yes, sir. And, and I so, think that, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think that the problem is, is a lot of times we're, very high on inspiration and very low on education. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so sometimes it ends up that what we're preaching is just rhetoric and it's just to bring some kind of physical response or spiritual response. But uh, we have to make sure that, you know, we have the quality and the substance there as well. Right. You know, when we, when we look at, at the scriptures, uh, I think it's very important, and you hit on this a few minutes ago, uh, that it's important that we understand the language, the grammar, and even the historical and cultural background in order to fully understand the Scriptures. Um, a, a lot yeah. of times, uh, which requires additional study, uh, it, it, it's easy for us in, in the Western world to read the Bible and to pull away from it something that 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 we interpret based on on westernized thinking but but what we must understand is the importance of really trying to understand what was the historical and cultural setting for that scripture uh, how important yes, is sir. it that we really dive off into that 
Well, I, I feel like it's really important. I remember the first time I went to Israel and I started seeing things from the Hebrew mindset, from the biblical mindset. And, and in fact, one, uh, the inspiration for me in, to uh, write the, the word to find was sitting in a lobby with a rabbi that uh, I count as a friend. And he told me, he said, uh, you Western Christians will never fully understand the scripture because you don't even know what the proper nouns of the Bible mean. So he really challenged me. And, uh, and I began to uh, actually start translating Genesis before I left Israel because I realized that, uh, you know, we, like you just said, I'm afraid that many times we, we read this Bible as an, a Westerner and we translate it and, and the implications of it into our mindset and our thinking. And so what I tried to do with the word defined was to give people a Hebrew mindset uh, or a Greek mindset, depending on Old or New Testament, so that they could not walk away from it and try to translate it into our society, but could see it in its original setting. And setting is so very, very important. I mean, when you're, you know, a lot of false doctrine has come from people taking scriptures out of context or not even asking the questions, who was this written to and who wrote this and what was the purpose that this was written? Because all of that is so very, very important. Culture is very important because you're you're literally portraying the scripture or a story or such. And the more that you know about that culture of that time and their mindset, the, the more real the scripture is going to become to you and to your audience. And so when I was in Israel the first time, all of a sudden, I began to take these verses and putting them in the setting that I was seeing. And all of a sudden, I, I even realized myself, I'm like, okay, you know, I always heard this, you know, that it was like this, but it's not like this. I'm standing here. I'm looking at it. And now I see the setting. And it made the scripture come alive to me. And, uh, and you know, so I think that that's so very important. I don't think that we can study too much. However, we all have to remember that it is human nature to make things more complex rather than more simple. And yet Jesus, the master teacher, kept it as simple as possible. And so in all of our study, in all of our uh, background cultural checks, etc., we still need to make sure that it doesn't complicate the message, that it doesn't become cumbersome and keep people from seeing the, the very simple gospel and the very simple truth that we're trying to portray to them. Amen. I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, this is something that I've I try to teach my local church and is something yeah. that I, that I discuss in, 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 uh, circles of fellowship. The, the gospel is very simplistic. It's very simple. Yes. Um, the, the, the things that God desires of his people are not trivial. They're, they're very practical and they're very mm -hmm. simple. And, and you're exactly right. We, we try to trivialize, we try to, sometimes push more on the scriptures than what they're actually saying. Um, but the more I dig into the word of God, the more I, I form that relationship with God and the, and the longer I pastor, I see that, that, that really it is a very, very simple, a very elementary message. Uh, and it for is. some reason we tend to try to, uh, uh, 
we, we, we really try to trivialize it. We tri- Like you said, we try to make it more complicated than it actually has to be. Um, right. And, and, of course, we're not, we're not telling our listeners out there that you have to be a Bible scholar in order to understand no. the Word of God. Uh, but, but it is very important that, that we get the gist of what it is that the apostles were teaching. Uh, because that overarching principle will apply in any culture, uh, in, in any millennium, in any decade, uh, no matter the time or the place, that biblical right. principle uh, will always be applicable. Um, and so a lot of times, again, I think that, that here in the United States especially, uh, we, try to, we try to take Scripture— and, and we try to make it fit and conform into uh, our our lifestyles and our way of thinking. Um, and, and the longer I pastor, I understand that it, in a lot of ways, it tends to cause problems, uh, problems that mm-hmm. that were not there, but problems that we are creating. Um, yeah. can, can you talk to us about that for just a moment about? Um, uh, about when we handle the word of God uh, and, and, and we, we talk to people about, you know, standards and, and, and uh, uh, conduct and, and uh, uh, all the things that uh, we deal with in society. Um, take a minute and just talk to the listeners about um, how we need to use the word of God to govern our lives and not in the capacity of, of a whole bunch of rules and regulations, but but in the spirit that the apostles gave it to us. Well, you know, and, and it's really amazing because in prayer this morning, the Lord just spoke this to me, and and this is the perfect opportunity to, to say this is that uh, the Bible says that you know the the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive, and so what we have to understand is that when if we are just basing it just on the letter. Um, you know, in other words, when we start talking about holiness and we we start laying down rules that are not biblical. In other words, you have a new convert that comes in, they came from another place or was raised a different way. They have a better understanding of the scripture and the syntax of the translation. And then you start trying to use verses to preach things that are really not in there. Then you discredit yourself even among these new people. And so you know, we have to be so careful because some people will keep the scripture, they'll obey the scripture by the letter, but they miss the whole thing of the spirit of that verse. Um, it's not that we just technically follow uh, everything that is laid down, but we have to see what the spirit of that verse was. And so uh, whenever we're talking about holiness and purity, we really need to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent and not put our own convictions there as equal to the scripture, because that is what the Pharisees did. And that is the one that Jesus despised the most because they had their own form of holiness, their own form of righteousness. And, you know, God said it's filthy rags because it does not have any authority in it except for man's authority. And we have to understand as ministers, as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, that the only authority we have is what is in the book. The Word gives us the authority. And so 
if it's not in the book, we have no authority to preach it or teach it. And we have to be so careful how we handle the Word of God because we are dealing with eternal souls. And it's not my job to make it as hard as possible on someone to live for God as much as it is for me to preach the truth and nothing more, not to elaborate or to try to uh, make it mean something that it doesn't mean or to try to put restrictions on people that uh, the Bible did not see it as, as important enough to even deal with. Then we have to be so careful with that because we will answer to God on how we handle the Word of God and how we used it. And if we are using it in a way that we have no authority to use it, and I, I believe we really will answer to God for that. Amen. As as you were saying that, um, I was reminded of Revelations. Uh, I believe it's chapter twenty-two. There, towards the end of the chapter, uh, where the scripture says, "For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things." Yes. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Um, yes. You know, that that's just as much doctrine. That's just as much truth as Acts 2.38. Absolutely. Uh, and yes, I believe sir, the is. passage goes on to say, and if any man shall take away from the words of the book, right. that God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Um, yes. That that. That should cause us to pause and really consider is what I'm teaching and preaching exactly what the scriptures are preaching and teaching. Uh, Absolutely. So we talk a lot about the denominal world wanting to take away from the Bible. But the truth of the matter is, is many times we're probably guilty of adding to the Bible. Uh and both, and both can become very, very dangerous. Um, do you think how we preach and how we teach to our people that in a lot of ways that determines uh, their behavior and their outlook towards the Word of God? Oh, definitely. Um, there's a, it, I, I have no other way to explain it, but there's a DNA that is created by a pastor as he teaches people over the years. Um, and, you know, even statistics say, and there's been different studies that say that within five to eight years, a church will take on the personality of the pastor. If the pastor is a very astute and careful man in the pulpit with how he deals with the word, and he stresses that to those that follow him, then he'll have a church that is very sound and mature and stable and they will not be doing things, uh, you know, or preaching for popularity or for response as much as they will for change. Um, and so the way that the pastor handles the scripture and the way that he is careful, and, and as an example, he will create a DNA in his people that will cause them to be the same way. Um, you know, and I have seen men before that I knew their, who their pastor was. And I don't think they were doing it on purpose, but they had been so exposed to this great man's ministry that it was reflective in their ministry without them even intentionally doing so. Uh, and so basically I was seeing the DNA of their pastor in them and in their ministry, uh, because I, I think that it's a spiritual thing that is transferred. Uh, 
Um, and so, yes, that's why a pastor or a teacher has to be of utmost care uh, to make sure he is translating the scripture, that he is telling stories uh, that are connected to the Bible that are true, that he does his research. And when he gets up there and and gives a message or he shares what the spirit is flowing through him, that it is scripturally sound because that's the only way he's going to have sound, stable people. And I've even seen where uh, a pastor has left and another pastor has come and the people continue to be stable and continue to study um, and continue to be like the previous pastor because he's put it in them uh, to the point that if this new pastor changed anything, they still wouldn't change or alter because it's in their heart. It's the way they see it. It's the way they understand it. And it's, it's what they've founded their entire relationship upon. And so, you know, stability in the pulpit is going to definitely transfer into the saints of God, especially in the ministry. You know, I tell, I had 17 men under me that were pastors. I mean, not pastors, ministers. And I told them, no fluff preaching. I don't want you getting up there and, and you know, speaking for 35 minutes and not have something to say. So I want you to be a man of substance. And if, I, if I'm going to expect you to be that way, I'm going to be that example to you to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, so I'll try to be a man of substance that when I... I don't want you just to get up there and say something. I want you to have something to say. And so, you know, if we train our young men and young women to do that, then we're passing that DNA on to them. And then, of course, they will go and, as the Lord tarries, and they will establish strong and stable churches the same way. And that DNA will transfer to yet another congregation. So we, we do literally bring forth what we, what we sow. And so if we sow carefulness, and we sow integrity in the scripture, then those that are sitting under us are also going to do the same thing when they begin to actively minister as well. Amen. So that brings me to this point. Personal accountability on the part of the believer when it comes to the Word of God. There is a school of thought among us where you have groups of people that say, well, this is what my pastor says. This is what my pastor believes or teaches. And this is what I believe or teach. And they inherit this from, from their Mm -hmm. ministry. But then you have the side of it called personal accountability. Um, If your pastor is in error, uh, you may be obedient, you may submit to that, but you're still in error. He is still in error. Right. And so a lot of times there's this school of thought, well, I'm just submitting to my pastor and I'm just submitting to, and, and, it, and, and so you, it just continues to propagate this, this error. Um, but when it comes to personal accountability, on the part of a Christian at the end of the day. And I believe in submission and, 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 and all of that, but it's my responsibility to seek out truth. Right. Is it not the responsibility of the believer to seek out truth for themselves? Meaning um, you cannot just be solely dependent upon your pastor. 
You've got to study for yourself. Paul told uh, uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. It, it's God. Absolutely. It, it's God whose approval we're looking for. Yeah. Talk to us just for a moment about about that mindset and that concept among us, where where people just kind of blindly follow leadership, and, and they never really seek to uh, search the scriptures for themselves. Well, I'll say this, Brother McLeod. My my ministry or my understanding of the Word has been greatly enhanced. Uh, throughout the 30 years of pastoring, because I, I'm, you know, first of all, men of God cannot be insecure in the Word of God. They, in fact, they really don't need to have an insecurity. They need to be healed of that insecurity to be a great leader. And so I would tell my young men, and, and I had a group called the Circle of Twelve, and sometimes there was 15 or 20 in that group, but uh, young men and young women, I'd say, look, you know, if I teach something, and you go to the Scripture, and you find something different, there's two reasons why you need to come to me. Number one is, I don't want you to be an error, and you may be misunderstanding something. But number two, if I somehow was an error, I want to correct it. And I, I feel like a preacher, a pastor, a teacher, not only does, does those students have an accountability to them as a teacher, but the teacher really has an accountability to the, to the people uh, that he is making sure that what he is preaching is true. And as a young pastor, there were a few things that I repeated that I heard men that I trusted teach. And then I'd have someone come and say, Brother Dobbs, you know, I went to that scripture and I was looking and I, I, are you sure that's what that means? And I was not offended. I said, well, let's sit down and look. And if I was not right, I was the first one to say, hey, you know what? Thank you because you just showed me something that I didn't understand. So if we could, now I'm not talking about things that are rock solid doctrinal uh, teachings. You know, I'm not talking about uh, arguing over holiness and such as that. I'm saying what is in the book. And so, you know, I think that a pastor should be willing to say, hey, you know, you've got to get this for yourself. And if you discover something different than what I was preaching, then I want you to come to me. Because if you're misunderstanding it, I want to be able to correct you and help you and not correct you for the sake of correcting you, but correct you because I love you. Or I may need to look at it again and say, you know what? I was preaching tradition and not truth, and we won't do that anymore. And so, you know, as a young preacher, I encouraged that and, and really all the way time uh, to the time that I was not a pastor anymore and became a bishop, I did the same thing. I said, look, you know, we're, iron sharpens iron, and we need to be able to be willing to to hear what they say, to show, let them show us what they found, and then to to evaluate, you know, what is wrong or what we're not mis- understanding correctly, and be able to work that out because that is the integrity of the scripture. You know, I, pastors sometimes feel like they have to have the answer to all things, but we're a body. And, you know, as a body, the body works together and enhances each other and strengthens each other and purifies each other. And it's the same. I'm not talking about questioning pastoral authority. I'm just talking about the integrity of the Scripture and the understanding of the Scripture. Of course, what that does is it causes the pastor or the teacher to be more careful in the future to make sure that what they do say is absolute truth and not something that they suppose. 
And so it, it's iron sharpens iron, you know. And, and so I, I think, yes, sir, we should not blindly follow. Uh, we shouldn't argue and we shouldn't call someone down in front of someone. There is a proper way to do it in the privacy of a pastor's office or a privacy of a meeting to say, could you please explain this to me? Because this is not what I'm seeing. Um, and that pastor would be understanding enough to do that and, and patient enough to do that. Uh, but, you know, I can be under submission to someone and not completely agree with them. And that's the secret. If I see something different, there, there were things that some of my pastors taught that when I would go to the scripture, I'd say, well, you know, that, that's not really there, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to find truth for myself, stay under subjection to my pastor and, and obey him. But I see this in the scripture as differently than he does. But I can still be submitted, even though maybe I don't totally agree with everything he says. And so that is the secret of true submission. The test of submission is whenever uh, you don't completely see it the way they do, but you still obey them and do what they ask you to do because they are your authority. Absolutely. I hope I answered your question. (laughs) Absolutely. And that brings me to this point. If we are rightly dividing the word of truth, if we're teaching the scripture the way the scripture was written. Hello? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can can you hear me, Pastor Dobbs? I can. I can now. Yes, sir. All right. So, um, if you're teaching the scripture the way the scripture was written, it will enforce your pastoral authority. Absolutely. Um, it it's not going to work against you, but but it will actually work for you. Yeah. Um, and again, you 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 speak to. Uh, the insecurity issue. And one thing we, we need to all understand is that we're just people and, and we're apt to make mistakes uh, and admit yes. when we're wrong. Uh, this, this is, this is the beauty of this uh, thing that we have called the church uh, that we're accountable one to another and we're all learning. Um, the more I study scripture, the older I get and the longer I pastor. What I find in the scriptures is a story of relationship. It's a template that shows us what real relationship looks like. What I mean by that is this. For many years, I come from a very ultra-conservative background. And for many, many years... um. I lived for God, and I believed that all these things that I was doing or that was being asked of me, all of this was part of my salvation. Um, You did this in order to be saved, and you didn't do that in order to be saved. Right. And the list would go on and on. But then as I matured as a Christian— when I really began to mature in my relationship with God, I realized that the reason 
the Bible likens the church to a bride and and the Lord as 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 the groom. That relationship aspect. As a married man of 24 years, there are things that I do not do, not because I'm concerned it'll ruin my marriage or I'm worried that I'll get caught doing it. There's things that I don't do as a married man because I cherish and value the relationship with my wife. And, and I think that if people will come to a place as a mature Christian, and I'm afraid many times as pastors, if we're not careful and we don't encourage our people to study the word of God for themselves, to ask questions, to, to really discover the word in its truest essence. I think we stunt their growth. We, 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 we have a form of dwarfism spiritually, so to speak, and they're not able to mature. But the more I began to mature, I realized, you know what? It, it The Bible is not a bunch of the rules and the regulations didn't work. That was under the law. That's right. Under the law there, it, it was thou shalt and thou shalt not. But when it come to the New Testament and it come to this relationship, between humanity and God. There are things that I can do these things. It's lawful for me to do them. But as Paul said, he yeah. said, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things don't edify. Not expedient. And That's so right. there are things I could stay gone seven days a week hunting and never come home to my wife. That's not against the law, but it's yeah. probably not going to be very healthy for my marriage. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's better just to go. Well, you know, it's better to go hunting just on Saturday and come home and 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 and, and be with my wife. And and so what I'm saying is, is when we really study the scriptures, what we find is a template for relationship. It's a very elementary um book that we really we really and, trivialize it and and. Uh, uh, so when when we talk about this personal, uh, this, this personal responsibility, I, I think it's important in getting it for yourself. And I yes. think that's where a lot of our people lose out, is they simply are not getting it. They're depending upon the pastor to do all the reading right. and all the studying, and you just tell me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. But I think if you do it in that capacity you really miss the bigger picture. Well, I think that's the difference between relationship and religion. Uh, if I'm doing something just simply because I want to be saved or I'm doing it because it, uh, the scripture says that I should do it, uh, then, then I am walking in religion. But if I'm doing it because I am so madly in love with him that I don't want to do anything that would offend him or even anything that I would think would make him unhappy, then not only am I going to walk in holiness and separation like a married man would, but I'm going to be doing it for the right reason. And, and I think motive is everything to God. Um, you know, um, and so relationship is, you know, I say it this way, we call it salvation. He calls it marriage. 
So if I just live like I'm married to him, then I'm going to be walking in relationship, not religion. And I think that's the difference. I mean, even, you know, and it's in every organization and every uh, group of people, like you've got, you've got Pentecostals that are Pentecostal by religion. And, you you know, I, I know we say it's not a religion, it's an experience, but I think we've, we've seen it long enough now that it, it could be, you know, Pentecost could be considered a religion to some people because it's been passed down from generation to generation. This is what you do. This is what you don't do to be Pentecostal. Well, we really need to concentrate on just being a Christian, being Christ-like, or even better yet, being Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So if I'm walking as the bride, I'm walking as a married, uh, I'm married to Christ, and I'm living everything I'm doing according to what he would desire, because I want to please the groom, then I'm not going to have any problem with holiness or separation or purity. And I'm not going to have any problem with spiritual authority in my life because I'm going to understand how important that is because of my relationship with him. And, you know, when a man of God is willing to be accountable to his congregation, there's that give and take that enriches everyone uh, because I don't claim to have all the answers. Uh, I'm going to try to find them. I'm going to seek the scripture. Uh, but no man is perfect and no man is, is contained in himself or you know, self-contained. Uh, and so we, we need each other. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other evening I had uh, watched a video of a pastor, um, and he uh, has written a book on Romans chapter 13, and he has taught his church uh that Romans chapter 13 is referring to church government and not civil government. And uh, I, I talk to us about that passage of Scripture for a moment and uh, talk to us about the importance of applying the Scripture properly uh when it comes to things like this, because I think the danger is that we can create a rebellion or a disdain for government. And, uh, you know, here we are during this political cycle and uh, with the elections and, and all these things going on. But even though we may have political preferences, um, there's still, there's still some biblical principles that are in place for how us as Christians should behave ourselves and how we should interact with civil government. Talk, talk to us about that for just a moment. Well, you know, the basis of Romans 13, as he, as Paul is talking about it, he is basically saying that all authority comes from God. And if all authority comes from God, every power that is under God is only there because of his permission and his authority. So there's no way that you can use that chapter to say that it's only dealing with church government and not government entirely. Because if anyone, if, if you go back to the original Greek there, if anyone is under any kind of authority, that authority can only come from one source, and that is God. So therefore, whether it is right or wrong, if we are subject and if we're under that authority, then we are to 
honor that authority, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, for there's no power but of God, and the powers that are ordained of God. And so it's very important that we keep this entire chapter in context, because uh, there's no way that you could read that chapter in context and walk away and say, well, this is only dealing with those that are spiritual or those that are filled with the Holy Ghost or those that are church government, and not that we should not obey those that have rule over us in civil government. Because uh, one thing Jesus taught, you know, render under Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God. He was making it very clear uh, that although maybe the power was evil or the power had ill intent, that all power comes from God. That key, that key verse is verse 1. All power, all authority, anything that is authority is ordained of God or it wouldn't be there. And so, therefore, I must obey. You know, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen here in America, but whoever is in authority, we are under subjection to that authority. If we pray for the will of God, that we just have to believe God had his way because the hearts of the king are in the hands of the Lord. So whenever he is talking about that, that entire chapter, he is, he is actually talking about obeying the, the authority that is over us. Uh, and the, because he says, whoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance. And of course, you know, the ordinance is a law structure. So if you resist any power that is over you, that is ordained to be over you, then you are resisting something that God has put in place. So therefore, you are resisting him, whether it is Christian government or civil government. And so, you know, that's another example of of taking a, a verse and trying to make it mean what we think it wants to mean. But if we actually go back to the original translation in the syntax that it was written and the original language, there's no way you could draw that conclusion. We are subject to whatever authority is put over us. And that's why he said that we should bring ourselves under subjection to it. You know, and you've got to think about it. Who The setting of this, he's speaking to the Romans. <laughs> and the Roman church in Rome probably had a bitter taste in their mouth uh, with the Roman government. And yet, you know, he, Paul is writing to them and saying, look, if you're going to be a true Christian, if you're going to be subject to God, then you're going to have to be subject to the laws of those that are over you, no matter how much you disdain it or how much you disdain the rulers or how much you disdain the rules, you must be subject and obey them according, you know, to the scripture. And so, um, uh, I, I, I think that next verse really brings comfort to me that the rulers are not a terror to good works. In other words, those rulers have been in place, but if whatever God wants to do, he will do, and they're not going to interfere with that. Amen. But I don't know if I answered your question, but a- you know, I, I don't see how anybody could walk away with the conclusion that that's just spiritual government and not civil government, because he's talking about all power and authority. I, I noticed that in a lot of what Paul writes to Timothy, we see almost a parallel of those same things that's being said in those epistles in first and second Peter. It's almost as if they're writing along the same train of thought because in first Peter chapter two, verse 13, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as supreme or unto governors 
as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And we understand that the church and, and apostolic ministry has no authority to punish evildoers. But we do understand that civil government does have the authority uh, to punish those yes. that do evil. He says, for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And what's really important, you, you, you hit on this just a second ago, but listen to what verse 18 says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Yes. And so this is just as much Bible. This is just as much doctrine as Acts 2.38. Absolutely. Um, So so we see that that, that there, there is a biblical principle of civility. There's a biblical principle of working in tandem with civil government, not working against them in rebellion, but working in tandem. And uh, not saying we're always going to agree on everything, but it it is a biblical mandate that we be civil and obedient until it causes us to transgress against the word of God. That doesn't mean that right. when they say stop worshiping your God and, and start marrying homosexuals and all of this, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that, that no, the structure no. of government, there may be there may be evil players in government, but government itself is not evil. It's not an evil entity. Right. But there may be, right. may be evil players. And so mm-hmm. since the Lord established government, the church of all people should respect that institution. Um, but again, you see that, that uh, the danger of teaching Scripture out of context, when, when Bible believers tend to think, well, we don't have to obey government. We we don't we don't have to listen to them. We don't we they they don't have any authority over us. Um, I think that really, it, not only does it again run our integrity, but I think it in a lot of ways puts us in danger. Well, it does. It makes us agents of revolution instead of agents of revival, and that was never God's intent. Amen. You know, He's never intended for His church to be revolutionary against the government just revolutionary against sin. <laughs> now, let, let, let me ask you this. So you, you had made a comment earlier in the conversation about uh, the use of, of uh, certain words and that if you were going to use a word in a certain context with a certain uh, meaning that you tried to find that word in other places uh, used uh, multiple times in the same capacity. I was always taught that in order for something to be considered a doctrine, that it took more than one scripture, that it took Absolutely. a multitude of scriptures to build a framework in order to call something a doctrine. Um, talk to us for just a minute about uh, a lot of times you'll see people and they'll take one particular scripture and they, they there's no other scriptures that are in harmony. But they'll take a scripture and say, well, this is what this scripture means. Um, 
talk to us about the harmony of Scripture or biblical hermeneutics or or when we're looking for something, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That, uh, yes, that's a verse that comes to my heart. Sure. Yes. Talk, talk to us about that for just a moment. Well, you know, there are some things that are mentioned in the Scripture that are, are mentioned once. Um, and a lot of times there are inspirations that the Holy Ghost is giving the writer, and he's writing, and sometimes he's even using it as an example to prove something else. But if we really are going to follow the line of, of establishing truth, it needs to be line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. In other words, there needs to be more than one instance of it in the Scripture uh, for it to become biblically sound doctrine. Uh, and, and if we follow that letter, then it prevents us from taking Scriptures out of context because uh, if it's there two or three times, you know you're not taking it out of context. If the idea, the thought, or the instruction is there more than once or twice, uh, you know, e- even Mosaic law called for two to three witnesses. And so that's a principle that God established in his law that I feel that is very applicable to our interpretation of the scriptures, um, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus the same. So. Uh, if he said, look, I'm not going to consider a charge unless you have two to three witnesses that tell a very similar story, then I don't think he's going to hold us accountable to obeying a scripture that is only there once as a heaven or hell doctrine. Now, there could be things that are mentioned that are wisdom and things that are mentioned that are for our good. They're expedient for us. Um, you know, they may not be the law, they may not be lawful, but they are expedient. Uh, you know, then I think that's whenever we need to understand that um, if those things are good and wholesome and have a good report and, and they're holy and they bring us closer to God, then there are things that we can consider and things that we can practice, but we can't preach them as doctrine. So there is instruction that we can follow that is not necessarily doctrine. But when we turn it into doctrine, we become like the Pharisees who took uh, their list of things that their father, uh, you know, the, there was there was leaders at one time, and I'll be very brief, but the way the Pharisees began is there was leaders at one time that saw that the Jews were becoming Hellenized by the Greeks, and they were afraid that they were going to lose Judaism in the next generation. So they sat down and they wrote the things that needed to be done as a devout person following Judaism. Uh, and, and they were not laws. They were just suggestions, just a list of this is what we suggest you to do if you want to walk pleasing to God and obedient to the law. Well, the next generation, in honor of their fathers, began to enforce it and say, these are things that you really must do. But by the third generation, the grandsons, to honor their fathers and their grandfathers, made it equivalent to the Mosaic law. So they did not have scripture for it. It was just suggestions of things they should do. And that is where the Pharisees came from. And we have to be careful not to be Pharisees. By taking a verse out of context and making it mean what we want it to mean because it's a tradition. And Paul said, avoid the rudiments or the traditions of man. But also, we have to make sure that whatever we're teaching as heaven or hell doctrine or our foundational doctrine of the church 
that it is there in more than one time, in one instance, so that we can hear the witnesses uh, make it clear that this is a doctrine that we must obey. Now, I am in favor of being obedient to every verse, and I'm sure you are too, but we can't get up there and say, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. We have to understand that these things have to be substantiated in the Scripture as doctrine for us to make them uh, so important that they would affect our eternal salvation. Amen. You bring up a very good point. And again, we should obey every Scripture. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is the it is the the application and its ultimate effect uh, that sometimes we uh, misinterpret. You you explained it very well. Some things are, it's just expedient. It, it's not yeah. necessarily a a heaven or hell issue, but 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 it's it it's it's something that will help you. Uh, and then there are things right. that are salvific. There are things that it could cost you yes. your soul. Um, adultery, yes. thievery, uh, fornication, yes. uh, lying, all of these things. Uh, but then there are some good overarching principles. Uh, David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes, and I will know no right. wicked person. So he says, I'm not going to be in fellowship with wicked people, and, and I'm not going to entertain myself with wickedness. Um, that That is a very, very good uh, principle, and it's something that, yeah. that we benefit from, from applying to our lives. Uh, yeah. Now, when when we talk about, you know, a lot of times um, we'll look and, and, and we harp a lot on Matthew 28, 19, and we'll tell the denominal world, well, that that's all you have there is Matthew 28, 19, but you don't have any more scripture, uh, or we can go over to Romans and all they that call upon the Lord shall be saved. And again, we, we cannot be guilty of the same thing that we accuse others of being guilty of. That's right. You know, people use Romans for salvation, and Romans was, you know, we've got to understand, Romans was written to the Roman church. They already had repented. They already been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. So you're not going to find a salvation formula in the book of Romans. You're going to find it in the book of Acts of the birth of the church. And there's another idea that where false doctrine is created by taking things out of context of what the true intent of that, that chapter or that book was written for. So, in fact, false doctrine is false doctrine. Yeah. And so, if we're taking misinterpreted scripture, so so if we're taking scripture out of context, or we're forcing something on the scripture that is not there, then then we're just as guilty as as the next person. Yes. Uh, Yes. Because error is error. Um. I really appreciate you taking the time out this evening to really talk to us about uh, the importance of studying the Word of God, properly applying the Word of God. Um, Listeners, if you're out there uh, and you want to get in touch with Dr. Dobbs, uh, Dr. Dobbs, how can people go about reaching out to you to purchase a book? Uh, If they want to email you a question or whatever, um, your website, give give us some information. Yes, uh, they can go to thewordalive.com or the wordalivebroadcast.com, and uh, just leave me an email or message there, and I'll be glad to 
to answer that message and whatever it is that they would like to ask. And um, I count it a tremendous honor that you would allow me to do this. And again, I don't claim to be an expert, but I, I hope that we've said something that would challenge people uh, to be to handle the scripture with more integrity. Absolutely. Uh, if someone wanted to go about purchasing a book from you, uh, tell us a little bit about the books that you have for sale and uh, how they can go about purchasing one of those. Well, unfortunately, um, I don't have them in printed form right now, uh, but I do have the eBooks that you can download on your phone or iPad or computer. And that is at the wordalivebroadcast.com or the worddefined.com. And we have a store there and they can just go in and purchase it and, and it'll give you an immediate download. You'll be able to, to uh, go to the link and download it. Um, and I have four books. Uh, three of them are the Word Defined, which is volume one, two, and three. Volume one and two is the Old Testament. Volume three is the New Testament. And then I have a book called the Word Alive Summary of the New Testament. And it is the New Testament in an outline form. Each book is an outline where uh, it has uh, key features. It has uh, character sketches of the key people in the New Testament. And it's literally in such an outline form that you can just walk to the pulpit and teach on that book just from uh, the outline. Uh, it's, so it's not written in text as far as paragraphs. It's written in, in outline uh, form so that they can uh, get a lot of information in a short time. And it was made to use in small groups or even pastors that wanted to teach through the whole Bible. Uh, they literally have all of that at their disposal. Plus, I did a chronological survey of the 400 years between the Testament, which I couldn't find a lot on the Internet about that. And uh, now they're using those. It's called from Malachi to Matthew. It's in uh, volume three of the Bible and in the Word, uh, the Word Alive summary of the New Testament, where it covers the 400 years, the, the historical events that took place, and shows the time when there is no Scripture but it shows how God was active in civic government and, and the rulers of the world and preparing the world for the coming of Messiah. And uh, so it, it was a lot of work, but it certainly was worthwhile. And now we have uh, that, that outline in 11 different Bible uh, schools around the world. Uh, but it's called From Malachi to Matthew, and it's included in Volume 3 of the Bible and also the Word of Life Summary of the New Testament. Thank you for that information. And again, listeners, the, yes, sir. the Word of Life broadcast is also being uh, broadcast through the Axe Network uh, on Roku uh, yes. TV, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV. You can also uh, catch his program uh, on the Axe Network apps, either through uh, iPhone and Android. Uh, I believe the Android app will be out sometime next week. And so uh, I would encourage you, to take the time to go through Dr. Dobbs' material. Uh, his his videos are extremely uh, informational. Uh, you're going to walk away learning something that you did not know. Uh, he also is a man of many travels, and so you never know what you're going to get. Um, Dr. Dobbs, again, we appreciate it. We, we appreciate you taking the time to share with us this evening, and uh, you have been more than helpful. And uh, listeners, until we meet again, God bless you.